0: The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lapin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, happy warriors. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lapin Show, where I, your rabbi, solemnly dedicate myself to revealing for you how the world really works thanks for being part of the show and uh thank you so much for remembering the credo of the happy warrior the type of listener for whom this show is designed the happy warrior is somebody who recognizes that regardless of the turbulence that might be swirling around the foundations of your being. Turbulence of a political kind, uh, turbulence of uh, military, turbulence of economic, they're all kinds of macro problems that are doing their best if we can ascribe living motivations to inanimate organisms uh, they are doing their best to disrupt you from your mission there are viruses and i'm speaking about uh, intellectual viruses just as much as biological viruses and all of them are trying to prevent you from taking care of business. They're trying to prevent you remaining focused on the things that you have to stay connected to, because regardless of how desperately and deeply you desire to join the bigger fight, you can only do so effectively from a solid foundation. And the solid foundation is indeed your five F's your family, your finances, your faith, your friendships, and your fitness. If you're not going to take care of those things first, then you're not much use to the army over there. And so um, let's carry on with the show. As I start off by telling you, what is the really only hard thing about doing the show for you every week? People occasionally ask me, now, how do you manage to do it? And the answer is that uh, the feedback from all of you, the emails I get from you all, and you do that at my website, by the way, at rabbidaniellappin.com, com, and uh, about us is the tab, and you'll be at contact us. I get to read them. That sort of feedback I find enormously encouraging. As I've said in the past, uh, I... I greatly prefer the medium of podcasting to terrestrial radio as I used to do it. And um, the only drawback is that with terrestrial radio, uh, the phone-ins gave you some feedback. So there was interaction. And over here, I've become accustomed to uh, survive on the time delay of the interaction. So right now... I am speaking, and because I read a bunch of your emails this morning, and I read some last night, and I read some two days ago, and my soul is filled with an awareness of you there listening, and that makes today's job ever so much easier. And so thank you very much indeed for keeping me going in that way. So that's not the hard part. When people sometimes say, so, you know, what's the hardest part of doing this regular weekly podcast? Um, I'll I'll tell you what it is. First of all, let me just explain that uh, this is not a show where I'm telling you what to do right in in no way is that part of what this is about at no point am i saying to you what you should be doing i'm not giving you directions in any way whatsoever and uh, and all i'm doing is what all i'm doing is providing you with a glimpse into what the 19th century german philosophers used to call a <coughs> A Weltanschauung, a Weltanschauung, literally, uh, it means a worldview, and that's a pretty good translation. Uh, I'm giving you a glimpse into a very specific worldview. Now, what is a worldview? A worldview is a, a format of the world through your eyes that pretty much explains everything that you encounter in the world, or at least that's what a worldview should do. And uh, what the what those German philosophers were trying to do and anybody who has worldview is um, you like it to explain things. And the truth is that uh, each and every one of us can become disoriented and even alienated when we feel we don't get what's going on. All right, it's um you know heaven forbid when someone's in a in a car accident they say you know I saw things happening slowly. What's happening is your brain speeds up as it's trying to process things that are happening. Right? A car isn't supposed to be flying towards you upside down. Uh, you're not supposed to be feeling things in your car flying around and hitting you on the back of your head and you're trying to process all of that. And when when you can't one of the things that that helps to sort of sh- throw us into a state of shock where we haven't necessarily suffered blood loss or any of the the really critical damage that uh, that is going to end up causing that but You still get into shock simply because your worldview is broken down. Your ability to process what you see, your ability to understand the world around you has broken down. Now, all of us, given enough time, are able to integrate information and make sense of it. But in terms of a broad overview, that's what a worldview or a Weltanschauung is, it really ought to explain pretty much everything that you come across in the world, and certainly, everything that is life-impacting, everything that is important. Now, let me clarify, there are many worldviews. I only present you one, which I think is a very good one, but that's just my opinion. I urge you to look at worldviews and weigh them up and make your own judgments. So, uh, there is the worldview of a deeply religious, uh, Quran-believing, Islamic, uh, devotee, all right. I'm not going to use the word uh, radical or anything like that because it just uh, I'm just not sufficiently familiar with Islamic theology to to step into that uh, area. I'm not going to do that, but I am going to say that uh, Islam provides a worldview. How do I know without knowing the theology? Because it wouldn't have attracted the deep commitment of so many people if it didn't provide a worldview. All right. Um, You know, your tennis club does not have millions of members because it doesn't provide the most basic of all human um, needs of the spiritual side of things. Right. You know, once once our physical needs are taken care of, the most urgent spiritual need we have is for a Weltanschauung, for a world view and your tennis club doesn't provide that. But obviously, Islam must do in order to attract so many devotees and to uh, retain their fealty. So, there's no question about it. There's such a thing called the Islamic worldview, in which the rise and fall of the West makes sense, and in which uh, uh, the the role of oil under Arab sand makes sense, and so it is with uh, with every other thing about the world. If you look at it through Muslim eyes, it absolutely makes sense. Um, then you've got a worldview that I think of as Marxist, communistic, progressive. Now, those are just differences of degree, but um, uh, that is a worldview. Now, there are full there are failures in the Muslim worldview I'm not going to go into what they are, but there are aspects of the Muslim worldview that are incorrect obviously uh, there are also aspects of the Marxist communist progressive worldview that are incorrect when I say incorrect that's not your rabbi passing judgment saying oh they're I'm saying they're incorrect no um they're incorrect because they contain uh, inescapable internal contradictions, and uh, I won't go into what they are in Islam, uh, but what they are in the communist, Marxist, progressive worldview, right? Is clear. There's certain there's certain problems, um, ha- and and you'll you'll see that uh, politicians who subscribe to that worldview always run into those difficulties whether it was uh, Lenin and Stalin in the Soviet Union and um in other words the the communist progressive socialist worldview most often runs up against reality in the financial economic arena and that's where um even the most ardent and committed marxist communist progressive believer has to scratch his head and and struggle to find a way to reconcile contradictions which ultimately do not reconcile because the world view contains with it fundamental uh, problems within it that are uh, irreconcilable and uh, and so um uh, you know, there's such a thing as the worldview of the Bushman in the Kalahari Desert in Namibia, Southwest Africa. Um, he has a worldview. By the way, as an aside here, let me recommend that when you're in the mood for just a delightful little movie, it's 40 years old, for heaven's sake. It's been around for the longest time, so maybe you've seen it, but it's called The Gods Must Be Crazy. It's produced by... A South African filmmaker called Jamie Ace, and um, he he produced it, he wrote it, he directed it, and it's it's just a nice little thing. I've spoken about it before, and um, I'm not going to describe it now. But if you if you have a chance to to uh, rent it or, or view it on one of the online, you'll you'll enjoy it. But one of the nice things is it shows that the Bushmen have their worldview. And when a pilot drops an empty Coke bottle out of his light airplane, and those bottles were robust, you know, it fell to the ground and didn't break, and one of these Bushmen picked it up, his worldview explained why this shiny glass object, the likes of which he's never seen before, suddenly put in an appearance. His worldview explained it, and it's so interesting to see. By the way, uh, what one of the things that I find entertaining is that um, uh, from time to time, I'm when there are movies I find interesting, I want to find out what the uh, Marxist progressive communist worldview says about those movies and one of the easy ways of doing it is just to read the new york times book re- uh, the new york times movie review and uh, and there you get it no problem well what they said about the gods must be they said a whole lot but the um, the thing i'll just catch now is the film is patronizing towards bushman what <laughs> and this what does this even mean right patronizing what does that mean I I truly don't know what the critique of patronizing means in the context of that movie, but I presume that what the movie does, uh, and it very clearly does do this, is contrast uh, Western culture and Bushman culture, or if you like, contrast Western worldview with the Bushman worldview. And it goes without saying that a Western worldview is more uh, uh, correctly uh, replicative of reality than a bushman worldview is but apparently saying that is patronizing now what that what a word like that is even doing in a movie review i find absolutely fascinating but um anyway there it is uh, intent on on pursuing that line of thinking by the way i did see that uh, cultural anthropologists have condemned the movie and um and then I, I, I thought I should probably also just mention a cultural anthropologist. Okay, please don't for a moment let anybody try and uh, persuade you that a cultural anthropologist is a scientist. It isn't. It isn't at all. Cultural anthropology is pure politics. And, uh, and today the, uh, the field has been twisted into just another arm. A propaganda arm for the communist marxist uh, progressive worldview um i've i've spoken in the past about a very great uh, cultural anthropologist of the first part of the 20th century called joseph daniel unwin 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 and one of the best proofs that the field has been co-opted to become the propaganda arm of the marxist progressive communist worldview uh, project is that um they have cancelled joseph daniel unwin so you can go into the university today you'll you'll be hard pushed to find these books in the anthropology library on most universities just because they don't like what he had to say i've spoken about him in previous podcasts and uh and one of the main things that I don't like about him is that he points out that of the 5,000 extant cultures in the world, and he really did study them, that's what he devoted his life to, the um, only requirement for a culture to succeed and become a civilization is monogamous marriage. Well, needless to say, uh, that is not terribly popular. So um, anyways, um you know, science means that you can show anybody the the reality. If somebody, if I want to show that three plus two equals five, I don't care if you're a bushman from Namibia or, or you're a uh, Mongol from the Asian steppes. It doesn't matter with as long as we have a common language, we can sit down and look at three pebbles and then add two pebbles. And we'll both agree that there are five pebbles at the end. If we don't, we'll just make sure that we are both relying on the base 10 numbering system and that you're not on the base 7 and I'm on the base 10. But when we've clarified that we're on the same numbering system, that is then a provable statement. So this is mathematics. It's science. It's easy. I can prove that ice is colder than fire, right? Or if we don't have agreed upon uh, words to describe those sensations, we can simply say, uh, all right, let's put our hands close to the fire. The sensation we feel is wogly." And um, now let's put our hands on ice and the sensation we feel is wiggly. And so wiggly and woggly are at opposite ends of the temperature scale. And so it goes. These are things that uh, people will agree on. But I assure you that there's nothing in the field of cultural anthropology that we all agree on. And um, that's one of the reasons we know it's simply not a science at all. And uh, if there is no comprehensive framework of reality, in other words, a worldview, then it's very difficult for there to be humor. What I'm trying to say is that if a tramp slips on a banana peel, it's sad. You know, it's it's pathetic. But when a pompous politician slips on a banana peel, it's funny. Now, if that social hierarchy doesn't exist, then neither does the humor of one of those situations. It's only because there is a standardized framework that defines the worldview of the people within that culture that we can have humor. But if the worldview is in itself that there are no unbreakable rules, which is among the uh, principles of the worldview of Marxist, communist, progressive thinking then it's very difficult for there to be humor because many categories of humor depend on um, religion. Well, you've taken religion away. It's it's no longer there. You can mock it, but some of the more subtle forms of humor, uh, you know, the, the, the priest and the minister and the rabbi walk into the bar sort of thing. But if there aren't any priests or ministers or rabbis, then that form of humor has completely gone away um, there's a form of humor that revolved around well scatological bathroom or sexual humor but the key underpinning of that humor is that people and animals are different but once the left has established that people and animals are just different points on the spectrum of existence on the planet then that area of humor falls away and uh, and and so it goes a um uh uh, just part of the things that bring enjoyment to life like the ability to to laugh well a lot of that goes away in some worldviews, such as a marxist communist world worldview now my own worldview is a biblical worldview through the eyes of ancient jewish wisdom and this has informed generations generations of jews um, it's, it's guided the uh, people of Israel in good times and in bad times. It's guided them in wonderful, hospitable, uh, comfortable countries and, say, and societies, and it's guided them in terrifying, tyrannical regimes. And throughout of that, uh, it has helped Jews build strong and durable families and build strong and durable finances, I know that uh, in uh, parts of New York particularly uh, areas in which uh, well in which Susan Lappin grew up and uh, other parts in queens it was quite well known particularly among italian families and uh, and among other people as well that if you can get your daughter married to a jewish guy you'll be well off and i remember talking to a mom that i'd met uh, a catholic lady in brooklyn and we were chatting and and i i said Uh, tell me about your children, she's got two daughters, what do you dream of for them? She looked at me and she laughed She said, I hope you're not going to be offended, but I keep telling them to marry a Jewish man. And I smiled and uh, I said, well, that might be a little bit different from the advice that Jewish man's mother is giving him because she'd like him to marry somebody who's Jewish. And she said, well, I don't mind if my daughter converted to Judaism. That's fine. Well, all right. But that wasn't what interested me. I was curious as to why she was saying what she said. Uh, Why is that? She said, I said to her and uh, she said, well, uh, Jewish husbands are good to their wives. They don't physically abuse. They don't beat them. And uh, they don't get drunk, and they're ambitious, and they work hard. And so she says, what, why wouldn't I want my daughter to have a husband like that? Okay, that is part of this whole idea, that there is a coherent worldview that springs from the Bible that Jews have adopted into their lives over many, 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 many generations. And that particular worldview is the one I share on this show. It's not, uh, as I say, I'm not debating anybody about it. This is what I I share for those who are interested. Here it is. I'm I'm ready to lay it out. I answer questions online. Uh, I provide um, elaboration. Uh, You can become a happy warrior. And that's also on the website, by the way. If you want to become a happy warrior? I send you a uh, a free ebook that speaks about more of this in practical context, and uh, and and that's 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 what that's what I do, right? And uh, I don't have time to argue or debate. Uh, I I feel it speaks for itself in in my case and so you know here it is obviously it's not for everybody um because well if it if it was uh there'd be even more regular listeners to the show than than there are already and i'm not ungrateful we have a a terrific audience and a growing audience but if this was the answer for everybody well okay Uh, pretty obvious right so back to how I started what is the hardest part of the show for me the hardest part of the show for me is telling you things that are true but which fly in the face of every single cultural message that I know that you've been subjected to you know one of the things people say to me more often than anything else is um I wish I knew what you've taught me recently when I was 20 years old, and I hear that very often, right? Why Why didn't I know these things when I was making important life decisions? Well, you know, there's a show of a couple of years back where I speak about the years between 13 and 23, those 10 years in the life of a boy. Somebody has since asked me to talk about, well, what are the relevant um, messages for the life of a girl early on? And and there are, and I I will do that. I focused on the boys because uh, it is so much more difficult. The impact of non-acculturated boys on a society is devastating. The impact of non-acculturated girls is not great, but it isn't as bad. Uh, Although, interestingly enough, for the first time in American history, and I'm just going to confine it to the United States of America for the moment, but wherever you're listening, you can easily make the cultural translation for your own area. But for the first time now in American, you know, speak about sociology, uh, this is the first time we're finding women, young women engaged in street violence, where beatings, are criminal beatings and assaults are being administered by women this is very new why is it happening now well because we have coarsened the lives of women most of these women are not and were never raised by a man they were raised only by a woman an unmarried single mother raised most of these women who are out there uh, beating up and and joining in um, joining in as assaults on innocent people. Uh, You know, right now, uh, I see it happening a lot in New York area to people of Asian descent. And um, this is the the result. After you've got uh, several generations of women raised by single moms, you've got several generations of women who've been told that taking the life of an unborn baby is not significant at all. And eventually the message does seep in. And you find out that you have created a generation of um, nightmarish young women. Very, very problematic for a society. Now, it takes quite a while for that uh, damage to to develop. The damage to a society by unacculturated men happens far more visibly and far more um, rapidly. And so, obviously, for many years already now, we have seen that um, how much damage is being wreaked on the streets of society by young males who did not get a proper 10 years between the ages of 13 and 23. So, um, so telling you things that are true, but are completely at odds with everything you've heard and everything you've been told. Okay. uh, It's a problem because most of us are disposed to believe authority Again, the world becomes a very uncertain and perhaps even frightening place if we if we believe that even authority is unreliable, which at the moment, increasingly large numbers of people in the United States of America are beginning to believe that authority is unreliable. The authorities. That phrase is found very often in European newspapers. Um, the body was left until the authorities could arrive, you know, things like that. Um, you, you're starting to see it more in the United States as well. But uh, to some extent, and, and I think there's some credibility to this, and that is that uh, the authorities are all very much on board the COVID train and i think part of that is because it helps to restore the power of authority so just when people were beginning to say to themselves you know i just don't know if you can really trust the media i don't know if you can really can you really trust the the political system along comes covert my goodness right all you have to trust is the governor and the state government and the mayor and the newspapers are telling you how many people died of COVID in the last 24 hours well yeah Uh, i i i can see that for authority those who see themselves and are in fact a part of the authority structure of society okay yeah they actually do say yeah, this this is a good thing we've we've got to keep this covid stuff going because it helps people remember they need us to be in charge do you remember all the dire predictions when the year 2000 was going to come around america was going to stop the buses wouldn't work the power would go off computers would stop operating And uh, one of the very disturbing discoveries to authority uh, on January the 1st, 2020, was that, you know what, people actually can manage pretty well by themselves. If everyone takes care of his own bus and his own computer and his own job, pretty much everything worked. There was no problem. Even though computers hadn't been designed to automatically switch into 2000, no problem. It all worked fine. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling if you're in authority to discover that those you see yourself in authority over can manage without you. Look, on a on a very minor level, and this is not a negative thing at all, but parents have authority over their children. It is meant to be that way. It works better. The world functions when that exists. One of the damaging things of a Marxist, communist, progressive worldview is that it endeavors to strip parents of their authority over their children. It endeavors to give children equal power as the parents and there are many different ways in which it seeks to do that, but uh, to to drive a wedge between parents and children, and to erode the traditional family structure, and to undercut the authority of parents over children, very much a part of the communist, progressive, um, Marxist worldview. But uh, when most parents go through this when your children reach a certain age and they've they they flex their muscles and they stretch their wings and all of a sudden you realize you don't have authority over them now. If you 've done a great job, you don 't mind because you're proud of the decisions they make. but if it's a little uncertain, it 's a very disturbing time for parents to discover they have no authority over their children anymore and um, it's exactly like that for people who have a deep yearning to wield power over other people, right? And it's a very, very seductive feeling. Uh, it is one of the nice things of being a parent. I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's a reality. Being We say, well, it's wonderful being responsible for all these beautiful little people. Being responsible means having power and control and authority over them, which you're supposed to have. I'm not criticizing it at all. It's good. Parents are supposed to wield authority over their children. Doesn't mean it doesn't feel nice. It does. And that's why you miss it when it goes away. Well, it's exactly like that with political power it's exactly like that with military power it's exactly like that with uh, economic power the ability to wield power over other people is um is very very appealing very seductive and you do everything you can to preserve and protect that power if you have it and so uh one of the reasons you know people sometimes say to me you know you're a little bit of a you're a covert denier which by the way is the usual um the usual phrase you're a climate change denier where this came from is because uh In a way with which I disagreed vehemently at the time, many Jewish organizations tried to turn Holocaust denial into a crime. They succeeded in places like Canada and places like Germany. I believe I'm correct on that, and uh, if I'm wrong, some of you will correct me, but I believe in both those countries it is a crime people go to jail for denying the holocaust so freedom of speech the very thing that jews always used to stand for freedom of speech and uh, no censorship gets put aside when it came to this particular sad issue and anybody uh, who who questions whether six million jews died by at the end of the nazis during the 20th century is a holocaust denier and the idea was to Uh, to cloak the term denier with such a probium and such um, awful flavor and such a stink that nobody would ever want to be called a denier and once that had been established it became possible to speak about those who are skeptical about the human role in in global warming or even whether there's global warming at all as much of the united states shivers in a frigid frigid winter storm Um, to do so is to be called a climate denier. Uh by the way, I am a climate denier. Uh and then it's also been used covid denier. So why you know what do you care? Well, because one of the things that uh, the covid crisis has done to the United States of America and also in uh, many other countries around the world, it's turned bureaucrats into petty tyrants. We get to close your, your businesses. We get to make you wear masks. We get to exert an enormous amount of power over your day-to-day life. And, um, and so we like the existence of this uh, epidemic. It, uh, it, it allows us to retain, but even more importantly than allowing us to retain our power and our influence, it actually does something else, and that is it restores America's commitment to accepting authority believing the media and uh, and that is exactly what it's done it's it's really important to to be aware of this that uh, when once you've heard something once something has got into your soul um you tend to believe it you know where they smoke there's fire right if they're talking about it, it must be true that's what we're told um so let me tell you a really important principle from ancient jewish wisdom and um it 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 can be very effective and very useful for you both in terms of raising your children taking care of your business your interactions with other people let me tell it to you here's the rule when you allow information to penetrate into you it is there never to be dislodged that information that you allowed into you has helped shape you and shape you it does even if your conscious intent is to reject it it's really important to know that so you might you you listen to something and you say yeah it's fine if i listen to this because i just don't believe it so please know that little by little a tiny bit at the time it scrapes away at your skepticism And if you believe something you know to be false and you hear it again and again and again, you start lessening your disbelief. I can't emphasize this strongly enough. Letting information into you has an impact even if your conscious mind intends to reject it. Now, this is one of the reasons that advertising works you see a picture of something you weren't thinking of buying the thing it wasn't in the back of your mind you hadn't even thought of it but it plants a seed and advertising people know that you know you don't get a lot of impact from just one advertisement but if you can make that advertisement be seen by your prospect several times each time it erodes the skepticism each time it takes away the doubt until finally you actually do get a significant number of the people who saw your ad to act on it because you cannot get rid of information that gets into you it's always there not consciously but it's there very much there you might you might be interested in where this point Uh, where it shows up in ancient Jewish wisdom for those of you who aren't you can skip ahead for three minutes or two and a half minutes but uh, where it comes from is the second book of Samuel chapter 16 verse 1 what's going on is as you know um David is king, David is on his way to becoming king the former king king Saul is trying to kill him uh, realizing of course that once David becomes king that is the end of Saul and his line uh, happens to be that David's best friend is Saul's son Jonathan uh, Saul's son Jonathan has a son called Mephibosheth and uh, Mephibosheth has a servant called Ziva Ziva and uh, in second book of Samuel, chapter 16, verse 1, uh, David is trying to uh, assemble his people and to build up his force. And he's asked for everyone who supports him to come and join him. And um, this guy, Ziva, shows up with uh, all kinds of supplies. And David says, where's your master, Mepivoshet, the son of my good friend, Jonathan? And Ziva, this treacherous servant, Uh, lies and says that his boss Mephibosheth is really uh, sticking, is staying with King Saul. He's not coming with David. Nothing could have been less true. Mephibosheth was uh, a cripple. He couldn't walk and move quickly. So he had sent Sivar long ahead to say, hey, David, we're, we're, I'm coming as quickly as I can. Uh, but meanwhile, here's my servant with the supplies. The treacherous servant hands over the supplies as if it's his own donation. And he says, yeah, Mephibosheth's not coming. He's joined Saul. Uh, David is extremely upset and um, and says uh, fine, well when this fighting is over, I you you will take over all of Mephibosheth's empire, his estate. You know, he's from the royal family, he's got property, and so he which is exactly what Ziva was hoping for. And so David says, When I become king and all this fighting is over, you will take over your former boss's estate. Okay chapter 19 verse 26 finally Mephivosheth shows up and here I am my master David I'm here to do everything I can to help you ascend the throne of Israel and um, David has taken it back he said I, I, I didn't I, I wasn't expecting you. I was told that you had joined the other side. And Mephibosheth had said, look, my servant was treacherous. He lied. He told you that I wasn't. It's not true. How could you even doubt me for a moment? Of course, I'm with you as my father is with you. You know that. And King David said, yeah, tell you what, you and Ziva split your estate. You each get half. Isn't that incredible? David should have taken Ziva and executed him. And, and said to Mavivosh, look, I, I gave an edict that your estate will go to Siva. I'm executing him. He's dead. You'll, your estate is yours. I'm sorry. I should never have doubted you. But he didn't do that. And we're talking about the great David. This is the, the guy that God chose to be the king of Israel. So he's not a nobody. right? This is not, this is not you or me. This is a giant among people. A person of, of huge greatness. And even he... Was not able to get out of his being that information that he had been betrayed by Mephibosheth. He knows it's not true. He sees Mephibosheth there now with his own eyes, but he can't completely get out of his heart that same that initial feeling he got when the treacherous servant Tziva told him that Mephibosheth wasn't coming, and he can't he can't change. This is such an important point and it's a point which you will find useful be aware that everything that your children hear leaves a mark be aware that everything that you say to your spouse leaves a mark it never actually ever completely goes away a really important point point. and above all with yourself each of us has to be aware that we should guard what comes into our ears and into our eyes because there is no erasing it. It then is a part of who we are. you know, people are often fond of saying "You what you eat, right? Eat carefully, eat organic food. I don't believe in organic food. It costs more and usually isn't nearly as good as the other food, but that's just me. I'm an organic food denier. But people who are promoting organic food say, you know, you are what you eat. All right, yes. And and I don't deny that, you are. Um, But I think that that means that we ought to add a spiritual element to how we eat. And that's because there's a big difference between being being filled and being fulfilled. And uh, eating is as much a spiritual activity as it's a physical activity. That's why we have things like comfort foods, and that's why a bond is formed between a mother and a child when the child nurses the mother. And uh, that is why... Uh, we correctly identify many eating disorders as psychological, having to do with the soul at origin. Uh, eating is a spiritual as much as it is physical. If eating was only about getting enough nutrition for your body, then you could just pop tablets. But the very fact that there are dozens of food cooking. Um, chef programs on television. The whole thing of the preparation of food is is surrounded with mystery and and importance. And there's locally sourced foods and imported foods. There's a whole list of things that have to do with eating. If eating was only about sustaining the body, well then nobody would care about that. That's not what it's about. Just just eat, but it isn't. Food is meant to provide. And works best when it provides spiritual as well as physical sustenance. And if you are a materialist, if you reject the idea of a spiritual reality, well, then you are depriving yourself of uh, a great deal of the benefit of the process of eating. That's why we enjoy a meal better when it's with friends and we enjoy a meal more when it's not emptying a can into our mouths, but we sit at a table with crockery and cutlery and a tablecloth. Uh, all of these have to do with the spiritual aspect of eating, saying a blessing before a meal or after a meal, and after a meal. These are spiritual parts of it. What's the point of it? Well, the danger is that without that, uh, you don't seek to be fulfilled. You only seek to be filled, and that means that uh, obesity waits around the corner. Because if you're going to eat and eat and eat and eat in the hope of reaching a state of satiation. It never comes because part of what you're looking for is spiritual satiation as well as physical and you can't possibly reach that feeling of satisfaction if you've banished the spiritual if you depend only on the physical so uh, yeah um, spiritual is very much an important part of the process of eating as well so so that's why it makes sense to say uh, we are what we eat sure that's true. Uh, But we are also what we hear and what we see just as much. And it's very much worthwhile being aware of that and uh, taking it into account in terms of how we eat and how we uh, how what we eat, what we see, how we see it, what we hear the information we allow ourselves to see, um, whether it's in entertainment or whether it's in news media. Uh, filtering what we get is worthwhile thinking about only because you have to know that the effect stays you know there are certain chemicals i think arsenic is one of them i may be wrong but there are certain chemicals that never leave the body and so they do tend to accumulate and um, uh, some of them are toxic so some toxic things you take in very small quantities they pass through you they're gone but the ones that that linger and stay in the body uh that's a different story now they accumulate and it can become very problematic well everything you hear everything you see all that information all that data does remain and it accumulates so just be aware of that now as i said this is one of the hard things about my job right because i know that what i've just told you is initially it sounds bizarre because a lot of the information you get is materialistic in origin and uh, if uh, somebody would say give me scientific proof that what you've just said is true i would say (coughs) um give me proof that your refrigerator or your freezer is keeping food fresh using an oven thermometer and you say well it's the wrong instrument an oven thermometer won't move if you put it in the freezer you need a freezer thermometer and i say exactly the same so do ask me to prove this using the instrument of science Uh, of course that doesn't work science can't prove everything science is very limited science describes things it can't even explain everything But it certainly can't prove uh, certain things. Um, If it could, we'd be able to develop scientific instruments that could predict which people would fall in love with which other people, and it would predict which people are honest and which people are not. These are not uh, physical things. They can't be measured with science. They're spiritual. And for spiritual things, uh, they can only be measured by a spiritually sensitive human being. And so, as people train themselves to become spiritual, they are more aware of these things and your ability to read other human beings. There's no instrument that'll tell you uh, whether these two people are good together. But if there is a strongly developed spiritual sensitivity, well, then you would be able to. That would make a big difference. And uh, there's no instrument that can tell if such or such a person is honest. But again, if you've spent time developing spiritual sensitivity, so you're a balanced person, aware and understanding of both the physical and the spiritual, well, then that's pretty good. That's not bad at all. That is how it works. And, uh, it's well wi- it's well worthwhile being aware of that so that's the hard part of my job telling you things like what I've just told you while at the same time uh, realizing that um, it's it's it flies in the face of of what all the propaganda to which we're all subjected all the time <laughs> At any rate, that is as far as uh, we're going to be able to go. Uh, actually, you know, I'll tell you something else that uh, I am going to talk about this more, <clears throat> not, not in this show, but in a, in a future, in an upcoming show quite soon. Again, an example of something that's really hard. But let me, I'm going to spell this out. I'm just going to tell it to you. I'm not giving you the reasons. I'm not giving you the explanations. I'm just going to leave this with you because uh, it's something to think about. And again, using this as you develop your worldview and you evaluate different worldviews, you will see that this fact that i'm about to tell you explains a whole lot about the world in which we live and the uh, and the phenomena you encounter in life <clears throat> i'll tell you what it is and that is that the act of physical connection between a man and a woman is essentially tantamount to a marriage in other words it contains a in a, an element of permanence to it and um, if you've ever heard people saying you know you never forget your first experience your first occasion of being physically intimate with a uh, a, a person of the opposite gender yeah why why would you how could you it makes perfect sense for people in that situation yeah of course you remember why not it was a marriage now i know this is now making you shake your head in bewilderment saying no come on what are you talking about so i just suggest that uh, you let this idea into your heart let it float around a little bit mull it over think about it and realize that um, yes in fact as I'm going to explain in the next couple of weeks, um, yes, in fact, this does explain a whole lot. When you realize that it's, it's not as if it's possible to just go from one person to the next person to the person after that, and then suddenly say, oh, this is the one I'm going to marry, um, it's actually not like that. The first person is still in your bedroom, as it were, Okay. I know this is this can be disturbing obviously because uh most of us um have lived lives and this is just part of the human condition most of us have lived lives that uh we would do differently if we had a do over and we knew then everything we now know right um and so these things are, are sometimes painful, but just because something is painful doesn't mean we should reject it from our thinking, because at least it helps us become wiser people moving forward, more use to our families and our friends and our associates. So um, just think about that idea. Uh, it's it's a powerful and shocking one, but think about it and uh, love to hear your reactions if and when you do be in touch by email at rabbidaniellappin.com, which is also where you can sign up to become a happy warrior. And so please go ahead and do that also and get your free copy of The Holistic You. It's an ebook that I've prepared for people who do wish to further their journey down the road of being a happy warrior so until we're together next week my dear friends thank you for being part of the rabbi daniel lapin show i thank you very much indeed for recommending it to other people you've been doing a fabulous job on that a lot of you must have been doing it because the numbers prove it and i appreciate it very much and um and so i uh, i wish you a wonderful week of strong and productive relationships with your faith with your family with your finances with your friendships, and with your physical fitness. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on The Blaze Radio Network.